It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. The symptoms can be different for everyone. Weight gain, fatigue, anxiety, depression, heart palpitations, breathing difficulty, dry skin, dry hair, so many things, digestive difficulties, insomnia, hair loss. But the doctors keep telling you your tests are normal or they're treating you with drugs, but you aren't getting better. Maybe they know it is thyroid, but they're giving you thyroid meds that keep having to be adjusted upward because they're not fixing the problem, only masking it. None of this is new to today's special guest, Dr. Gil Kajiki, the nation's leading expert in non-drug management for hypothyroidism, low thyroid, and Hashimoto's disease, and founder of the Valley Thyroid Institute, a worldwide center. In his new book, Sick, Tired, Untreated, and Abandoned, How the Medical Community Fails Hashimoto's Patients and How You Can Get Your Life Back, he cites the thousands of patients who have come to him out of desperation because the doctors ignored them, they didn't think they were crazy, and misdiagnosed them, and so forth and so on. Uh, Dr. Kajiki is a certified functional medicine practitioner, chiropractor, and patient educator with clients on four continents. And his clients include celebrities, corporate leaders, and just he, he works with so many people. So uh, good morning, Dr. Kajiki, and welcome to A Fine Time for Healing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Good morning, Randy. Good morning. So... You started off in chiropractic, and there was something that really, something that made you switch. It, your wife got sick, right? And you took a, a deep, in, deep dive into this and ended up helping other people do this. So, can you tell us exactly what happened? Yeah, I've been a chiropractor since 1986. <clears throat> strictly doing musculoskeletal work, headaches, back pain, sciatica, scoliosis. Um, but about 14 years ago, my wife started getting these different kinds of, of symptoms, um, like fatigue, hair loss, weight gain, insomnia, digestive issues, depression. And we went to the conventional medical doctor, and he says, well, you know, it's just stress. You know, you've got two kids, two teenage kids, you got a high-stress job, you're traveling a lot, it's just stress. Okay, <laughs> what else are we going to say? The expert said it's stress. Um, but those same symptoms started worsening over the next year or so, and <clears throat> they just became more frequent and more intense, and we would go back again, and then the next time the doctor said, oh, well, you've got a B12 deficiency, so say these B12 shots, so which seemed to help a little bit. Um, but, but then probably about by the third year or so, um, those symptoms were still persistent. Um, she was having a hard time getting through her day. And we went back to the doctor again and, you know, oh, you've got Epstein-Barr. So either the tests were normal or you have Epstein-Barr. But there's no treatment for Epstein-Barr, so sorry you have to deal with it. Well, it came to a head at one point um, and about a week before Christmas and she had gone she uh she was she woke up in the middle of the night with anxiety she bolted upright in bed she couldn't breathe she was having a panic attack and so we decided like i'm going to run her down to emergency this is a week before christmas <clears throat> wants to be in the hospital week before christmas and i thought oh they'll just give her oxygen and overnight and let her go the next morning well they held her there for a week and during that two-year period of time, I was starting to dabble with nutrition and functional medicine, <clears throat> but I had done a test on her before she went to the hospital, and I got it back while she was in the hospital, and I excitedly brought the results to the hospital saying, 
I, I, got, I figured out what's wrong. I figured it out. You, you've got a condition called Hashimoto's. And her doctor happened to be in the room at the same time, and he looks at the test. He says, you're right. She has Hashimoto's. I said, great. What are we going to do about it? And he says, well, we're going to give her some Synthroid. And I said, but isn't Hashimoto's an autoimmune condition? And he says, yeah. I said, then why are you going to give her a thyroid medication for an immune system problem? And he said, because that's the protocol in conventional medicine. And I realized at that point, not only was that doctor not going to help me, no doctor in conventional medicine was going to help me and help us because that's the way they do it. So I had to contact my colleagues and people who are smarter than me and did this more than me and go to seminars and read books and research. And I had to figure out how we're going to get this Hashimoto's resolved on our own because the conventional medicine community is not going to help me. And in about 18 months, we got her Hashimoto's into remission, no medication. To this day, she doesn't have any Hashimoto's flare-ups. We just have to maintain what we call her triggers, and she's in good health all the time now. Wow. That is a story I relate so well to. Dr. Kajiki, because I started with chronic fatigue at age 19, and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And they they gave me Valium and this and that. And of course, they love to say stress. They love to say depression. They blame it on all of these things because they really, really don't know. Um, Yeah, that that stress one. Oh, everything you can blame on stress. And that is just so crazy. I was diagnosed for something. Uh, I was diagnosed as having a psychogenic cough when in fact I had damage to my vocal cords and um, other issues when I finally Mm. found a specialist. So, I mean, it's, I've been through this. I understand it. And, and, and thank goodness you um, have become a functional medicine doctor because this is so desperately needed for people. So yeah, I look back at my career now too, and and I and I think, gosh, you know, it was it was great getting people out of pain when I was a chiropractor, but it so personally affected me now that they get their lives back, they get to play with their grandchildren and maintain their job and maintain their relationship with their family, and it just means so much more to me doing this kind of work than my chiropractic work. Mm, yes, I understand that. It's really wonderful to see results. I mean, you see it with chiropractic, but but you know this is this is major. This is yeah. huge. You can change lives. Did this? Do you think this happened after childbirth? Uh, you know, ironically, in, in her case, it did. Her first child, uh, no problem at all. But it was after this second child, she. I don't know when it it happened. Um, and, you know. Our youngest was probably five at the time, maybe. Um, but I do believe it, it, that second childbirth was a, uh, a trigger for that. And, and I hear that a lot from my other patients is they'll have Hashimoto's before their pregnancy. They'll go into pregnancy. The Hashimoto's goes into remission, and then they give birth and then flares up again. So I do hear that. Interesting. So it could be hormone-related somehow some yeah something about the hormones and the immune system saying okay you know this is this is important we need to let this child be born and then we're going to kind of go back to doing what we were doing right my experience with autoimmune um it it's really a lot of my clients because i do narcissistic abuse coaching and a lot of my clients who have been exposed to trauma and uh, anxiety for really, really long periods of time have autoimmune disorders because, of course, stress can weaken the the immune system and make you vulnerable to other things. So I see this a lot. So this, but with your wife, this just came kind of out of nowhere? Well, I, I think it was there. I just... I wasn't experienced enough to know to recognize it, and I didn't know how to do the testing at the time. But certainly when I look back on it now and she says, 
I have hair loss, I have weight gain, I have heart palpitations, I have insomnia, I have depression, and this myriad of symptoms, when I look back at it now, it's not just Epstein-Barr. It's not just stress. It's not just B12 deficiency. So it was there. I just didn't recognize it at the time. But I think when, you, when you've got such a myriad of different symptoms, it's got to be more than one kind of dysfunction. And, and so I think it was there. I just didn't see it. Okay. In your book, you, you talk about more complex conditions that may require different kinds of therapies. And you're saying in our era, we have, uh, you know, in, in contrast to our grandparents, right. we have more air pollution, more water pollution, antibiotics and hormones in our food, our soils depleted. We have electric, we're exposed to elect, electromagnetic fields, chemtrails, personal stress, so many different things. Are people sicker, more sick now than they were, you know, 50 years ago? Oh, absolutely. The, 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 the illnesses are more chronic and they are they last they last longer they're more complex now than they ever were before in, in our grandparents days and you know who knows what it's from but certainly all those environmental um triggers that you just mentioned certainly have a role to play in it and and medicine has gotten so good at keeping us alive with their medications but not healthy and so we linger longer and longer and longer and longer, become more and more sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker, but we don't die. Whereas back in our great-grandparents' era, people would develop an illness and then die, typically infections. It, it's not like that anymore. So we are sicker with more complex conditions now. Okay. And so what are some of the things that we can do to keep our health good. I mean, obviously eating well, eating good, maybe organic or non-GMO and watching the water that we drink and so forth and so on. But we're still exposed to other things. It's, we, we are exposed to toxins all the time, aren't we? Yes. No matter how careful you are, you're going to be exposed to toxins. And they're coming through our phone. They're coming through the airwaves. Who knows what's in the airwaves? <laughs> right. Yes. They're, you know, in our, in our plastic wear, you know, in our plastic bottles, in our couches, and our carpeting, and our car upholstery. It's everywhere. You cannot escape it. I mean, sure, you can minimize your exposure to them, but you can't escape it. And, and so you're your best defense against all these environmental toxins is to be educated about um, maybe what you have a sensitivity to and take care of your immune system because your immune system is ultimately the one that's going to determine whether that environmental toxicity is going to affect you to the point where you get ill or your, your immune system can fight it off. And what are the best ways for us to take care of our immune system? <clears throat> oh, gosh. That's, that's a loaded question because you, you can get that different response from 100 different practitioners. Um, I mean, if I had to choose one, one or two areas that I would say affect your immune system the most in a positive way, it's taking care of your gut, and that involves the foods you're eating, how you're evacuating the toxins, um, you know, your gut lining, taking care of your immune system because 80% of your immune system is in your gut. And I would say how you manage and perceive stress and sleep. Those mm. would be my top three for taking care of your immune system. Okay. And during the the height of the pandemic, I was taking zinc and I was taking, oh, what was that other one? Some kind of liquid. I forget what it was. But is zinc a good, uh, does that help us with our immune system? Does that help ward off diseases and things like that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it helps. I mean, I think there are probably a dozen or more 
different types of uh, compounds you could take to help your immune system. I mean, during the during the pandemic, I would take daily doses of vitamin A, turmeric, resveratrol, vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin A. I mean, that would be my daily supplement dosage for two years. Okay. Okay. So there's definitely things that we can do. Absolutely. You said the, major- yeah. the majority of patients you work with have Hashimoto's, and you say, in fact, 80% of all hypothyroid cases are Hashimoto's in nature. What's the difference between hypo and hyperthyroid? So hypothyroid... Uh, you generally will experience slow metabolism, slow symptoms. So you would experience things like fatigue, weight gain, depression, constipation, dry hair, dry nails. Hyperthyroid is, you, is typically fast thyroid, fast metabolism, fast symptoms. So you might have anxiety, nervousness, heart palpitations, diarrhea, um, irritability. So just really fast symptoms. Hashimoto's has both because Hashimoto's causes that thyroid uh, function to fluctuate to hyper, to hypo, to hyper, to hypo. So now you have got this mixed bag of hyper and hypothyroid symptoms. And if you go to your typical endocrinologist, they don't understand that mechanism. And so they'll treat you for hypothyroid and the next time you get a blood test and your TSH is too low, they'll say, oh, you're over, you're over uh, under-medicated, you know, let's cut back on the medication, and then the, you go again, and the TSH is higher. They go, oh, you're under-medicated, let's give you more medication. And, and so you're trying to treat this moving target if you're trying to treat the thyroid instead of the Hashimoto's. So it's, it's tricky when you get into Hashimoto's. If you're hypothyroid, now you're just concerned about the function of the thyroid gland, what's making it slow, is there a conversion problem? Is there a thyroid binding globulin? It's not quite as complex as a hyper-hypothyroid mix. Okay. Thank you. What is the difference between a weak immune system and an immune system that's attacking a particular organ or part of the body? There's, there is a difference, right? Yeah, there there is a difference. I mean, I don't know that you can actually test for that. Um, You know, you can do immune system panels that show that the immune system is suppressed and uh, maybe a little slow, like your white blood count might be low, your natural killer cells might be low, um, which which would suggest it's a suppressed, weakened, slow immune system. Um, But when you get into a overactive, overzealous immune system, um, you will typically have other types of markers like those natural killer cells or those B cells will be elevated and your antibodies will be elevated. So your antibodies is a sign that there's a lot of immune system activity going on and that might be the sign of an overzealous immune system. And you could kind of tell by as a patient um, autoimmune conditions typically wax and wane, so the symptoms come and go, they're up and down, they're worse, they're better. I mean, you can kind of typically tell where you're in an autoimmune attack from your immune system um, because your symptoms will be heightened and your system, symptoms will be exaggerated. Uh, and then they'll kind of get better on its own. And then they'll get a little bit better and kind of go to the other side where maybe it'll go into remission or in Hashimoto's it goes into hypothyroid. So I think it's hard to tell by testing. And the thing is by testing, the the second you get the the needle in your arm, that's the lab markers, but you don't get results back for a week to two weeks later. So it's hard to go by lab markers. You know, you can kind of go more by clinical symptoms. Okay. So you're putting it together based on the whole picture. Yeah, and I think you have to do that as a practitioner. I don't think you can go only off of symptoms or only off of lab markers or only off of patient history. I use all three. You know, For me, the patient's symptom has to match the lab marker, has to match the history. And then I have a pretty accurate depiction of where and how I'm going to treat. Okay. And doctors used to be better diagnosticians. They just aren't anymore now that they've divided every, I mean, 
there's not one doctor that does everything. But but it used to, you used to go to your family doctor, and that doctor would evaluate everything. Yeah. So that's yeah. really missing now in Western medicine. Yeah, and and in Western medicine, everything is a specialty, right? And and um, unfortunately, it's it's I believe it's gotten that way because of insurance. And because of pharmaceuticals is they've kind of forced doctors into these specialties. And so your cardiologist doesn't know anything about what's going on in your gastrointestinal tract. And your gastrointestinal doctor doesn't know anything about what's going on with your hormone and endocrine system. You have to see all these different people and they don't talk to each other. (laughs) And it can make you crazy if you're not feeling well and you're going from one doctor to another to another to another and they're all looking looking at you with big question marks in their eyes. They have no idea. And often they make you feel like you're the crazy one. Yes, and unfortunately, that's the case. I mean, people, they don't contact me first. They contact me last because they've already been to the endocrinologist and the GI doctor and, and even maybe the psychiatrist, and, and the doctors refuse to say, I don't know what's going on. You know, let me <laughs> research this. They say, I don't know. You know, maybe you need an antidepressant. Right. That's the, that's the answer to everything. Yeah. So, what are some, so it's important to identify the triggers. If you're going to try to calm this down, right, solve this right. problem, whatever. So what are some of the triggers that can uh, intensify this, make it worse? Yeah, well, I, I there are nine very common triggers that I look for in treats. There are certainly more than that, but the nine most common ones that I look for are anemia, blood sugar instability, adrenal gland dysfunction, hormone imbalance, inflammation, gastrointestinal problems, food sensitivities, chemical sensitivities, and hidden infections. And it's these same nine triggers is they have the exact same symptoms as a thyroid problem. So these triggers, they look like a thyroid problem, they act like a thyroid problem, they feel like a thyroid problem, they have the exact same symptoms as a thyroid problem, but it's not a thyroid problem, it's a trigger. So maybe your thyroid tests come out normal, or you're taking your thyroid medication, but you still have all of these symptoms. And that's when the doctor says, hey, your lab tests are normal, go away. Yep. And, and no one knows where to go at that point. But it's these same triggers they are also the root cause of the autoimmune attack on the thyroid. So this, these are the root cause of the, of the Hashimoto's attack. So if you identify which of these triggers you have, prioritize those triggers, and then create these natural protocols to start resolving those triggers, it'll minimize the attack on uh, the agitation of the immune system on the thyroid, and it'll also resolve the symptoms that you're experiencing, and then if you have anything left over after calming down the immune system and resolving the triggers, then you know that's truly thyroid at that point. But I'll tell you something. Of all the thousands of people that I treated, it's rarely thyroid is the primary problem. Rarely. Hmm. Interesting. Is there a more common problem that you see? Than thyroid, then, or than then it being then it then it being thyroid, because you say it's rarely a lot of people uh, do, do not have it's thyroid. It's the triggers. It's yeah, the triggers. It's, it's the triggers. You know, so it, so people kind of self-diagnose themselves with all these different symptoms because they've already been to the thyroid doctor, they've already been the GI doctor, and then they scour the internet, you know, for what causes fatigue, what causes weight gain, what causes depression, and thyroid inevitably will come up on your internet search. So they find me. And they say, you know, I've got this thyroid issue. I've got Hashimoto's. My doctors won't listen. I'm t- taking my medications. I still feel crappy. So that's when we start talking about the triggers. So it, it inevitably is always the triggers that are the issue. Sometimes the thyroid is involved as well. But always they are the triggers. Interesting. Do you diagnose these triggers through blood work or or what, are, what methods do you use to diagnose the triggers? Yeah, well, different testing media are better at finding different triggers. So if the only test you've ever gotten was blood, that's one of the reasons why the doctors haven't found the problem yet, is that 
different testing methods find triggers better. So even for hormones, I use blood and I use saliva. For gastrointestinal issues, I primarily use stool, but I also use breath testing. And of course, I use blood a lot because blood gives us a lot of information in a short period of time for a small amount of money. So depending upon the trigger that I look for will depend upon the testing media that I decide to use. And inflammation, is that something that shows up in blood work? <clears throat> yes, almost always. There, there is, I don't think any person that I've ever tested that didn't have some kind of an inflammation marker that was showing up or have some kind of a symptom of inflammation. I mean, inflammation is probably the most common trigger that I find, and inflammation is the seed to every disease. Uh, there is no disease process that occurs without inflammation as being an initiator of the condition or a perpetuator and keeps it going of that condition. So inflammation is, is bad. We're finding more and more about inflammation that, you know, when people age, uh, we're finding that it's not so much that you're aging, you're becoming more and more inflamed. That's not getting taken care of. Well, that's not a good thing. <laughs> that is not a good thing. No, but inflammation is a lot more controllable than your age. <laughs> I would imagine so. And we yeah. can tr control it through our diets and uh, so many and our habits, so, so much of what we do. Right. Where, where does exercise come in to all of this? Is this uh, an important, important for treating Hashimoto's? I believe it's important in the later stages. I mean, there, there are some Hashimoto's patients that I work with, they're so fatigued that they can't barely even get out of the bed. You know, and their doctors are telling them, uh, hey, you need to exercise and eat better, you know, if you want to lose this weight. Well, they're so fatigued, they can't hardly function in a whole day. So I think we have to get their physiology more under control. And then my criteria for exercise for Hashimoto's patients in the early stages is I want you to do exercise, but for psychic benefits only and to your tolerance. So don't exercise to lose weight, don't exercise to sweat, don't exercise to improve your cardiovascular function. <laughs> you just want to exercise to clear your head. It's a psychic mm -hmm. benefit exercise. And do it to your tolerance. So if that means walking one block, that's what it is. But you do it to clear your head, not to lose weight. So gotcha. I, I think it's important in that stage. And, and then when you get that Hashimoto's into remission, well, yeah, then – Sky's the limit for your exercise, but it's always to your tolerance. Now, when Hashimoto's goes into remission, it doesn't. That doesn't mean that the Hashimoto's is gone. It just means it's so. So, explain to us what that means. <clears throat> yeah, and I think you're going to get different opinions from different doctors about this. But my opinion is this: you can't cure an autoimmune condition. You can manage and control it, but you can't cure it. So it's like a, a, a dimmer switch on a light. Um, many times physicians think that because their antibodies are normal or because they're asymptomatic that that Hashimoto's is cured. It's not cured. It's in remission. And if you go back to bad habits, if you, you know, get back into stress, poor eating, uh, you know, an injury, uh, a emotional, um, you know, an emotional uh, stress event, that Hashimoto's could come roaring right back. And it's not that you didn't reacquire it. It, it got exacerbated and reactivated again. So it's always going to be there. You, and you have to be very careful about your lifestyle and how you manage your life and your sleeping habits and your stress, your stress uh, perception because it can come roaring right back. I don't, I don't believe you cure it. It's not like a broken bone. Mm, okay. What were... Or, or I should say, what are some of the triggers that your wife has to be uh, aware of? Careful of, yeah. Um, she has a genetic disposition for gastrointestinal disorders. Uh, it's pretty rampant in her mother's side. So 
we have to be very, very careful with her gastrointestinal tract. And, you know, recently we, went, we just went through an episode where she had this uh, GI upset and I tested from one company and I couldn't get it resolved. And I finally went back to a company that I use very often and then it showed that she had this horrible, horrible overgrowth of the good bacteria. So your good bacteria can act like it's a bad infection kind of bacteria the same way. The symptoms are exactly the same. I was sure she had a a pathogenic bacterial infection in her GI tract, and it showed none. But she had this overgrowth of the good bacteria. Her gut microbiome was completely out of balance, and her opportunistic bacteria was completely out of balance, really high. And so I treated it like an infection, and you know, within two days, her symptoms were back under control again, and she had been suffering with this for months. So in her case, gastrointestinal, really key. Um, she also has to watch her blood sugar stability patterns. Um, if she eats too much sugar or too many carbs or too much fruit, um, she'll throw off her blood sugar stability patterns. She'll go into an insulin resistance and reactive hypoglycemia, and she'll start getting fatigued after meals or she'll getting f- fatigued throughout the day and wanting to take a nap. So with her... She's so lucky... Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, with her, you know, her, her Achilles heels are gastrointestinal and blood sugar. And I was going to say, she's so lucky to have you around to constantly monitor that. Well, gosh, we all wish we had you in our pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I you know I think about that with m- my patients, and when they decide to stop working with me, you know I get it. There's there's always finances involved and time and whatever other kind of obligations. But I think, how are you going to monitor this if you don't have somebody to monitor this for you? How are you going to know when things get out of hand? How are you going to know what to do when there's a flare up? Exactly. I mean, I guess people think that when they're feeling better, they're better, and they don't yeah. need you anymore. And yeah, then the next thing you know, they're coming back, dragging themselves into, the, dragging themselves to you. And what happens? Why am right. I like this? Right. Exactly. And I'll, and I'll tell you, the first question I ask them is, is that um, I said, so how's your diet? Well, well, I already know what the answer is. You don't even have to answer me. <laughs> Well, okay, well, go back to doing what you were doing when you felt the best, and if that doesn't work, then contact me. I get it. I am someone who, I don't have the flexibility of abusing my body because every little thing I do that my body doesn't like sends huge signals to me Mm. and it Mm -hmm. causes me problems. So everything, I have to watch everything I eat. I have to watch my stress. Everything that I do, I have to be careful. And when I decide I'm normal and now I'm just going to go rogue, doesn't work. <laughs> I, I end up. I, I I have to be so disciplined with everything that I do. Yeah, it's and it's crazy. just not fair. It's I, I get it. It's just you watch other people and they eat so much junk and they have bad lifestyle habits and they drink alcohol and they don't gain a pound and they still have unlimited energy and it's just, just not fair for some people. Right. But I think being sensitive, there's the the good thing, the positive to that is that I will feel changes in my body. So I will ward off disease before it even takes hold. When Absolutely. you have a body that's that resilient, you go and go and go and go, you abuse yourself, and then all of a sudden you have something horrible. Right. I think there are consequences that people are going to pay when they abuse their bodies like that, and they, they, do, be, they, can, you know, they do because they can, but there will eventually be some consequences, and you don't want to experience those consequences. You could look around and see. You know, most people aren't George Burns, so most people can't get away with that kind of lifestyle. Yep, exactly. I had a grandfather who smoked well well into his 90s. I think he died at 96, and he was energetic, and I have longevity in my family. My mother's 94, my father's 90. 
98. Mm. It's going to be 99. So, yeah. So I have longevity in my family and pretty good health. There's some things there. Let's talk about Dr. Google. We all, <laughs> now, that we have, <laughs> now that we all have access to the Internet, we try to be our own diagnosticians. And every doctor will say, don't listen to Dr. Google. Why should we not do that? Right. Um, Because your filter for what is applicable to you and what's not isn't as good as your physician's. We use Google all the time, but we have great filters. And, you know, you can go on the Internet and you could find anything you want to find. I can promise you that if you say fish oils are bad for you, you will find some links that show you, that tell you that fish oils are bad for you. But probably most people in the world know that fish oils are great for you. So I tell people when they say, well, I looked on the Internet and they, they said to try this and this. I said, look, was your name on that article? If your name wasn't on that article, they're not writing it for you, for your particular Hashimoto's case, for your particular rheumatoid arthritis case, for your particular hypothyroid case. They're just doing a general overview for whoever's going to listen to them. So they're not customizing and personalizing the recommendations for you, which is why it really frustrates people when they say to me, I have Hashimoto's, what supplement do I take? What kind of diet do I do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a generalized protocol for Hashimoto's. Every single Hashimoto's case is personalized. So every Hashimoto's case is different. Every Hashimoto's case has different triggers. Every Hashimoto's case has different priority of the triggers. So it is not a good idea to do a generalized search and not have it personalized or customized specifically for you and you follow those recommendations. That makes sense. You say that doctors don't do enough testing, and you know, I agree. You say that um, you do the, the, the panel, the full blood panel that you do is 63 different tests. Right. The, the typical full panel is not that comprehensive. What, what is the typical full, um, full panel compared to yours? Well, if you go to your typical endocrinologist or GP or MD, PCP, and they suspect it's a thyroid issue, they will run a TSH, a free T4, and maybe if you beg them, they'll do a free T3. That's three out of ten thyroid tests. Can you really know what's going on with your thyroid function when you only do three out of ten tests? No. So even if your tests come out normal, you still could be missing some information that tells you why you're feeling crappy. And, and, and a metaphor I use for that for people is, you know, if you went and got a home inspection because you're buying a house and they only inspected three rooms out of ten and they said, okay, I, I inspected these three rooms, they're, they're fine, they're great, they're normal, you would say, well, what about the rest of the house? Well, oh, no, 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 these three are normal, so everything must be fine. That's, that's what happens in conventional medicine. And so I do all 10 thyroid tests because I want to know, is there a Hashimoto's problem? Is there a hypothyroid problem? Is there a hyperthyroid problem? Is there a conversion problem? Is there a thyroid binding globulin problem? Is there a a receptor sensitivity problem? But you can't tell that with three tests. So when those three tests come out normal or your doctor tells you they're normal, this is what I tell the patients. There's no way... No way your lab test can be normal and you still feel lousy. That's impossible. So the doctors are either reading the tests wrong, doing the wrong tests, or not doing enough of them, likely all three. Now, I will tell you why this occurs. I think this is important for your listeners to understand why that occurs. Why do they only do three out of ten tests? Well, because you only need three of those tests to determine whether or not you're going to give medication. And because there is no medication for Hashimoto's, they're still going to give you thyroid medication. And if you get your evaluations from conventional medicine, this goes back to my title of my book, you have to understand and accept the fact that 
if you get your opinions from conventional medicine and you use your insurance, you pay a small copay, you have to understand that they are influenced by the pharmaceutical and the insurance companies. So they will only do what the insurance company is considering medically necessary, and they will only do the treatment that the pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies approve of. And for thyroid, that's medication, radiation, and surgery. There's no other choices for thyroid medication and conventional medicine. That's awful. And I was actually going to ask you about insurance because I know that that's really why healthcare is not so effective here, right. at least in the United States. Because right. a functional medicine doctor, you, the tests that you do are not going to be, most of them are not going to be covered, right? Be covered, right, right. And, and I get it. I want somebody else to pay for my care too, right? But it's not designed to do that. It's just not designed to do that. So, you know, we have very expensive insurance that we use in case we have appendicitis or in case we break our bone, you know, break a bone and if, in case we slice our arm open. But everything else we pay for out of pocket because I want the answer. I don't want for what insurance company will pay for. I want the answer. Like I today, I'm going to a naturopathic functional medicine doctor and it's a two-hour evaluation. It's $350. I'm paying out of pocket because I want the answers. I don't want what my insurance company is going to pay for. Right, right. It, it can get very expensive. Unfortunately, people that cannot afford that have to stay sick. It's, uh, it's a really frustrating uh, conundrum. Right. right. But there are, all, there are a lot of things you can do if you don't have insurance or if you can't afford that. There's a lot of things that you can do. And, you know, so, like we mentioned them in, in the earlier part of the, of the interview is, is that, you know, you can watch what you eat. You can watch your stress levels. You can manage how you perceive the stresses. You can exercise to your tolerance. All those little things help to keep you out of my office and my treatment. <laughs> can we do all those things and still end up in your office? <laughs> you can. Because sometimes it's just horrible environmental triggers that we are just unfortunate where we live or our, how, how we live our life. And genetics. I mean, some people just have horrible genetics. You just the delta bad, you know, card of genetics. Right. You mentioned... I was going to say, uh, you know, with, with me, I, I do most things right in my life <laughs> that I have control over. Yet... I am likely to get cancer anyways because it's so genetically strong in my family that I am likely to get cancer anyways. But uh, if I do, it won't be because of anything that I did. Interesting. Do you think that cancer is, takes hold when the immune system is weakened? Or what is your feeling? I mean, I know there's no real understanding of why other than genetics and things like that, why people are getting so, so much cancer is, is, is being diagnosed. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that weakened would be the right term. Um, I, I think the immune system becomes dysfunctional because I think you could have a strong immune system and get cancer too. Uh, there mm. are some cancers that are so smart, they trick the immune system into thinking that they're not an enemy. And so the immune system just keeps going about their business and leaving the cancer alone. Um, and it's a very strong immune system. So yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, I wish it were as easy as, hey, weak immune system, cancer, strong immune system, no cancer. <laughs> I wish mm-hmm. it were that easy. All right? But it's just, it's just not that easy. But you control what you can control. And there's a lot within our control. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, um, I believe you get cancer because of genetics and environmental triggers <clears throat> and you know, who don't like maybe a, a leaky gut, but um, I control my gut very well. I control my stress very, very well. I good, get good sleep. I manage my sleep really well. So if I do get cancer, it'll be because of genetics, and that is it. Well, if you, if you did get cancer, would you go a holistic route or would you go the chemo route? 
That's a tough one, you know. That that crosses my mind often because uh, mm-hmm. I think, in theory, doing a holistic route would be great and ideal, but I think it probably depends upon the cancer. It depends upon the aggressiveness of the cancer. Um, there might be situations where my team of doctors decides just get surgery, just get it done. Um, and, you know, I don't want to be philosophically right and be dead. <laughs> so um, I don't know what I would do, honestly. I, I, it, I, I'm prepared for that decision, but um, I, I think I'd, I'd have to see what kind of cancer, how aggressive, where is it at before I right. make that decision. Exactly. I mean, it's something that I think about all the time, and I don't have a predisposition to it. It's just that I think, you know, what, what, I, what am I going to do? Because when you're hit with that diagnosis, it can send you into a shock if you're not prepared for it. And then all of a sudden you're at the mercy of the doctor and whatever they want to do. And I don't know that there's that many cancer doctors who are holistically minded. Right, right. And, and, and I think you hear about a lot of success cases from treating cancer holistically, but I don't think you hear very much about the failed cases. True. You're that right. Maybe, you know, could have not been a failed case if they had just gone a, a, a conventional medical route and gotten surgery and or chemo or radiation, and that might have taken care of it, and they could have lived a happy, happy life. And the idea of your life is to have quality in your life, not longevity. So Good point. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to live a long time and be sick. You know, let me live my life, have a great quality of life, and I I go, you know, earlier than expected. Okay. Well, I think that's a good attitude. I I like that outlook. <laughs> you you had mentioned before rheumatoid arthritis. Is that something that can be controlled through trigger through being um, <clears throat> avoiding triggers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've had several rheumatoid arthritis cases over the years that have gone into remission, and it, we once again, we looked for the triggers. We, we looked at their food sensitivity. We looked at their gastrointestinal dysfunction. We looked at their inflammation. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that I have found with rheumatoid arthritis is they oftentimes have a overgrowth of a bacteria that, it's normally found in our intestinal tracts at low levels, but this in this bacteria starts to multiply and, and and you know overgrow, and in some people that is like the trigger there, like the main trigger. And so we go, we look for this infection on stool panels, and if we find this infection, um, even though it's a normal bacteria, if it's overgrowth, I'll treat it like it's an infection, and I'll go after that infection along with healing the gut and managing their inflammation markers and managing the food sensitivities. And then we can get that rheumatoid arthritis into remission many times. That's amazing. What other indications would we have if we have that overgrowth? I mean, is it, is, are we going to experience pain, inflammation? What other are we going to experience digestive issues? Yeah, uh, probably bloating. I mean, it seems like, wow, I can't eat anything now. It seems like everything I eat bloats me. You know, okay. I, I eat a salad, it bloats me, and, and that didn't bloat me last year. So bloating, acid reflux, uh, loose stools, like all the same things that look like an H. pylori infection, <laughs> all the same things that look like a candida infection. So you just can't go by your symptoms as your method for determining what's wrong. You've got to do testing and and whether it's through muscle testing or lab testing or um, any kind of this other electromagnetic testing, whatever it is, have some kind of objective measure to try to figure out what's going on, not just your symptoms. Okay, that's that's really good. So there's so much that we can do, so much that's in our control. So what else should we know about Hashimoto's? Well, that here's something that you as a patient would only know is that when the immune system gets agitated by these triggers, that immune system starts attacking that thyroid, and it starts destroying thyroid tissue you never get back. When that occurs, 
that thyroid tissue gets released into the bloodstream and it releases hormone and thyroid tissue into the bloodstream. That's when you typically get the hyperthyroid. So you'll get anxiety, nervousness, heart palpitations, racing pulse, insomnia. And then if you happen to get a blood test during that time, that TSH will typically be low. But then what will happen is days later, weeks later, those hyperthyroid symptoms will just get better. And then it'll go into the opposite. It'll get into fatigue, depression, constipation. And so you go through this roller coaster of hyperthyroid, hypothyroid, hyperthyroid, hypothyroid. So it's like wax and wane, come and go, off and on. But when you're in that hyperthyroid mode, that's when that immune system is agitated and it's attacking that thyroid and releasing thyroid hormone and thyroid tissue into the bloodstream. So you will know your Hashimoto's is getting better because your, your waves of symptoms will get better. So you will have less flare-ups less often, and the flare-up intensity will become less and less and less. That's how you know your Hashimoto's treatment is working from your doctor, is those waxing and waning, the waves of Hashimoto's attack, they start calming down. Okay. Good to know. You mentioned leaky gut before. I've heard of it. Can you explain to my listeners what leaky gut is if they don't know what that is? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a catch term that was developed by the natural um, natural healthcare community. But um, the medical terminology for that is called intestinal permeability. So what's supposed to happen is in your digestive tract, you have these very, very, very tiny holes, which allow, you know, vitamins and enzymes and minerals and amino acids and, and blood flow to transfer back and forth for the, for the health of the gut and for you to get the nutrients from your foods. <clears throat> well, with inflammation, infections, uh, high cortisol levels, um, you know, foods that are inflammatory, they will cause these little holes to get bigger. So now your intestinal tract is like a colander, and it starts allowing particles to get through that shouldn't get through. Then your immune system goes, whoa, what is that? That shouldn't be here. It's not supposed to get through. It must be an enemy. And so it'll attack foods that are okay. It'll, it'll attack cauliflower. And so you get bloating and gas and distension, and your immune system thinks it's an enemy, but really it's just a piece of cauliflower. But because of this hole that's in your digestive tract or holes, it gets through when it shouldn't get through. And that's what you call intestinal permeability. Is there a way to correct that? Absolutely, yes. There are, there are ways to correct it, but you have to know you have it first. And so there are some blood tests that you can do. Um, that check for something called occludin, zonulin, and lipopolysaccharides. And if any of those have, a, have gotten into the bloodstream, we know that there's a breach in that intestinal barrier. And so you got to find out, well, first of all, how did the holes get there? Was it because of, because of an infection? Was it because you kept eating a lot of processed foods, a lot of Big Macs? Was it because you have high cortisol levels and it's degrading the inner lining of your gastrointestinal tract? So you got to find out why it's there first. And then you could, once you get rid of that source of what caused it, then you could work on healing the gut with different types of compounds. Okay, good. I know that we talked about a lot of the tests that you do, but you have what's called the Kajiki Protocol. And this so let's just run through that, what the Kajiki protocol is. I know we've talked about all these things. Okay. So it's nothing special. It's just something that I do. And so here's the way I go about things is that patients come in with all these different symptoms. They don't know why, right? They don't particularly care why they're having them. They just want to get rid of them. So I go through a very, very extensive patient history. Okay. It's a 14-page patient intake. And I'm one of the few doctors that actually read every page. Right? I mean, <laughs> don't you hate when you fill out all these papers for your doctor and then they, don't, they ask you the same things that's on the paper you just wrote down? Hate so, that. 
Absolutely hate that, yes. I hate it myself, and I'm like, I'm a patient. Why would you have me fill this out if you're just going to ask it, ask me this anyways? Right. right. Exactly. You're not going to look at it. So we, we do this 14-page intake in advance. So before I even get on the phone with you, I already have a pretty good idea about what's going on. I don't know any doctor that does that. I've never been to a doctor that does that. Nope. That actually prepares for their initial consultation with the patient. So <laughs> neither have I. For me, that's big. So I already have a pretty good idea about what's going on. I already have an idea about based on the symptoms, what kind of triggers would this person have? Do they have Hashimoto's? Do they have a hypothyroid? Do they have an anemia? Do they have a blood sugar instability? So then, when I have my consultation, I'm confirming what kind of triggers that I'm looking for. And then once I have figured out what kind of triggers I'm looking for, I'll order appropriate testing. So if I think there's a gastrointestinal trigger, I'll order a stool test. If I think that there is a, a insomnia issue, I might order an adrenal saliva test. If I think that there's some kind of infection, I may order an Epstein-Barr virus panel or an infection panel. So now I've gotten lab testing to match the triggers that I find that match the patient's symptoms, that match the patient history. And then when the lab results come back, I can confirm, is there a gastrointestinal trigger? Is there an anemia trigger? Is there a blood sugar instability trigger? And then what I feel like I do is very important that a lot of functional medicine doctors miss. And this is when I get patients that say, I've been to three or four functional medicine doctors. I just didn't get any help. I took a bunch of supplements, but no help. And I look at their testing like, wow, these are great tests. Why is this person not better? Because they didn't prioritize the triggers right. So yeah, you might have an anemia trigger, but maybe you go after that third instead of first. Maybe you have a mm -hmm. hormone trigger, but you go after blood sugar instability, gastrointestinal, and inflammation first. So I do a really good job at prioritizing those triggers, and I go after like the top main three. And once I have my triggers that I prioritize, now I can give you different kinds of supplements with that are made out of vitamins, herbs, minerals, enzymes, amino acids, detoxes, de-inflammatory eating plans. So my supplement recommendation is based on the lab test result on your trigger. And so I'm being pretty sharpshooter at that point. I'm giving you an exact personalized protocol for your particular Hashimoto's or rheumatoid arthritis case that I feel is going to work for you. And then I follow up with my patients every two weeks. So if there's an issue, it's a two-week issue, not a three-month issue. So I follow up very, very frequently with my patients. And so I'm sure you have tremendous success because if you're, you're a sharpshooter. We get great success. I would, I would say that we have probably a 98% success rate. Um, and, and my success rate is, the criteria is, I want to exceed your expectations as a patient. Love it. Absolutely love it. Okay. I know that you do. You offer a 30-minute discovery consultation, $97, to, de to yes. determine if somebody's an ideal candidate. And you do your work mostly by telephone and, and over um, Zoom or something like that, Super right? Over Skype, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, great. Do you have an office? Do you see people in, a, in an office? I have an office. I, I'm located in Fort Collins. Um, I don't see anybody uh, in office. It's ironically, since we found out people are more open to virtual consultations now than they were before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, so after they were forced to go to virtual consultations, they're okay with it. So it, yeah. uh, we don't even see anybody in office, even if they're local, because they just say, you know, I would rather not get dressed and get in the car and go to your place. I'd just rather stay in my pajamas and, and do my consultation with you. Exactly. I mean, all the work that I do is, is virtually. I see everybody virtually. And that way you can see people from any, any part of the world. And I know that yeah. you have patients from all over the world. So, okay, yeah. we're, um, we need to finish up. But your book is Sick, Tired, Untreated, and Abandoned, How the Medical Community Fails Hashimoto, um, Hashimoto Patients and How You Can Get Your Life Back. Okay. And where do we go to get this book? You can go to my website. That's the easiest place. And that is dr 
K-A-J-I-K-I.com, drkajiki.com. You can go there. I've got some free thyroid video download resources. Um, I did a video series with Lisa Garr a few years ago, and I explained all about the triggers, what they mean, how to find them, what kind of testing do I do to look for them. Um, There's also the link to Amazon that you can purchase the book. And then you can also purchase a $97 30-minute consultation at, from that same website. Beautiful. Okay. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you so much for being my guest today. You, you really gave us a lot of good information. So I great. appreciate Thank that. Thank you for the time. Appreciate that too, Randy. You're welcome. Have a great day. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at randy at randyfine.com. That's a new one. It used to be Love Your Life. Now it's randy at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.